0: Hey friends, this is Michael Boehm with Youth Apologetics Training. Today we'll keep going with this series about the New Apostolic Reformation. And I suppose more specifically, right now we're talking about uh, doing war with these supposed territorial spirits. Now again, this goes back to Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel's praying and fasting... And it takes 21 days for Gabriel to show up. Now, it's not that it took 21 days for his prayer to make it to heaven. All right, that's nonsense. And I've actually heard some, well, some new apostolic reformation type teachers saying that. Uh, but really, there are some people that believe that. No, it, God heard his prayers. It took Gabriel 21 days to get to Daniel. Why is that? Well, Gabriel got held up by this prince of Persia, now that's not a flesh and blood prince, you don't get held up by a flesh and blood prince, no, this was some kind of demon, if you will, this principality that held Gabriel up, and he was fighting it, and then the archangel Michael shows up, and uh, throws down with this thing, and Gabriel's able to make it to Daniel, and communicate to him, and bring him his message, right, and then we see at the, the end of the book of Daniel, I'm sorry, the end of Daniel chapter 10, uh, there's also this prince of Grecia. So what is this? Well, the new apostolic reformation crowd, these quote unquote apostles and prophets, uh, believe that there are territorial spirits or princes or demons that are attached to, in charge of ruling different areas of this planet. Well, that may have an ounce of biblical truth to it, I suppose. But then they take it way farther. They take it clean outside of the Bible and say that God has revealed to them that they are to bind these territorial spirits and make war against them, basically, to break their hold on territories. Now, You know, at first blush, that might almost sound kind of interesting, kind of cool. You know, let's let's take these dudes down, you know, right? But you don't see anywhere in the Bible where a believer is given that authority uh, and is encouraged to do these types of things, one. And two, you see all of these people, these quote-unquote, again, apostles and prophets, hearing these, you know, they're just kind of chilling and having a cup of coffee in the morning, and Jesus shows up and sits down and has a cup of joe with them, and lets them know, hey, you know, this is how I want you to do battle. And then they go out and do these great big extravagant battles with these supposed imaginary monsters that they're seeing, and, and they do claim to see them, friends. A lot of these prophets and apostles are like, I saw the demon, and it is the demon of Columbia, you know, or this or that, okay? And then they they are given these marching orders, these commands from the Lord. This is how you're going to do battle and you're going to be victorious. And they have these big battles and they waste all kinds of money and all kinds of time. And the whole world is looking on and chuckling about it and rolling their eyes and saying, wow, you guys are goofy. And nothing ever happens. Now, I know I'm asking for anecdotal evidence. Even if an area did have some kind of freaky, awesome revival that took place right after one of these events that would not prove their effectiveness. But on the other hand, I suppose they've been doing this guys, since the 19, like 1988, 87, 1990 guys, that's like 23 years now. Okay. 23 to 26 years that they've been doing these great big extravagant battles. Nothing has changed. The world's gotten worse, not better. We're going down. The morality of this planet is getting worse and worse. Abortions continue to climb. Pornography continues to go up. Guys, more and more wars are being started. Evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse, just like the Bible said they would. Things are not getting better. The church is not growing uh, in ways that are, well, really giving glory to, lo- to the Lord. We're not seeing this mass repentance and a coming to faith and all kinds of people coming to the Lord and repenting and trusting in Christ alone and reading their Bibles, being cleansed from the inside out. We're not seeing a great big uh, uh, revival in morality, Christian morality, from real born-again Bible-believing Christians. You're not seeing it. It's not happening, and so, from an anecdotal evidence stance, and I think this is a fantastic argument against this movement movement at this point, we're talking twenty three years of this great warfare, and we don't have nothing. I mean nothing, there's no evidence, there's no nothing to point at and say, "Wow, the Lord is moving, you know he we did this these great prophetic acts before the Lord, and we did all this worship. And warfare, and uh, blew our shofars, and cut off the generational curses. We'll talk about that soon. And then all these things started happening. And wow, the Lord moved because the the clouds broke up, and in the open, and the portholes were open, and the angels came through, and that territorial demon fell over on his side. He was all wrapped up and bound up, and his mouth was gagged, and he couldn't do anything anymore. That old wimpy demon. (sighs) No, that didn't happen. All right, so what's warfare, prayer, and worship? Friends, I, I, I've seen this for myself. When I was part of this this movement, uh, there was this belief that our prayer um, and our worship could be used in a warfare-like way. Now, is that biblical? I mean, can you find that in the Bible? Now, when I was with these groups... Uh, It was all kinds of bizarre stuff. Um, There were, I mean, just different actions could be labeled as warfare tactics or prophetic acts in the spirit that had these great anointing, uh, great spiritual effects. Okay, let me explain what I mean. Uh, For example, uh, we would march. (sighs) Okay, and sometimes it meant we would march around the outside of our church. Sometimes it was marching on the inside of our church. Sometimes it was marching, uh, or, or walking, if you will, through different areas of the city and praying over different areas. And you'd have these, sometimes it'd be small groups that would go out and walk certain areas of the city, walking up and down every neighborhood street. And suddenly, you know, usually two by two, you know, kind of master and apprentice, kind of Jedi's, so you'd be cruising around these neighborhoods and suddenly, the one, one of them would stop and say, Oh, oh, I feel something. I feel the Lord is telling me something. This house right here, a great, a great evil thing happened over here, whatever. And then they'd start coming up with weird, uh, interpretations or ideas that, that the Lord was supposedly showing them that happened in this house. And then they would do some kind of prayer and they would break off the demon and this and that. Uh, there were all these weird prophetic acts, okay, dancing. That was another thing that was supposedly some kind of a warfare act. And some people just had this anointing to dance before the Lord and to break curses in the heavenlies and to, to break spiritual hold on, on things, people, areas, whatever, through these prophetic dances. Uh, it's kind of embarrassing. I've I've seen so many of these funny dances. And look, you know, there was this instance where David was praying and dancing before the Lord, rejoicing because the ark was back. And uh, McCall was looking out the window at him and thinking, why, you look goofy. And God got a little bit mad at her. Okay, and I'm not trying nowhere in that. See, David was worshiping the Lord. This was not a form of warfare. This was not some kind of weird prophetic act. This was all to the Lord in praise and adoration and thankfulness to our God, okay? And that's a whole different thing. But these people will do these dances in the attempt to break spiritual holds on people, places, things, whatever. Uh, and it, it's just considered a prophetic act before the Lord. And a lot of times these dances will include... um very warlike stances, fighting stances, punches, kicks. All of a sudden, you're holding an air gun. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You know, like you got your index finger out and your thumbs up, like you're holding a pistol or something, and pew pew pew, you know, gunfighter style. Um, all, all of a sudden, you're holding a sword and you're flashing it around and swinging it. I, I kid you not, guys. There's even videos on the internet. I've seen this stuff in person and I've seen it in videos. Uh, another thing flags running up and down the aisles with certain colors of flags, because these colors, you know, they represent something in the spirit, okay? This is what they believe, right? And they'll swing the flag like a sword or whatever. They'll run up and down the aisles with them. And this is also a prophetic act, an act of warfare worship or warfare prayer, where they're swinging these flags, different kinds of them. Uh, Shofars. Sounding the shofar, you know, that curved ram's horn. Uh, shofars are kind of neat, but, you know, they'll use this. And they say that when they blow their shofars, it shakes things in the heavenlies. All right. The demons are scared suddenly. that They're totally shooken up because they think the Lord is retur- returning at that very moment. You know, because the sound of the trump, the sounding of that last trump is supposed to signal Christ's return. Alright, right, so there's that belief that that shofars somehow shake up the heavenlies and really scare those demons away. In fact, I've even seen it where somebody is said to have just some kind of a warfare anointing on their singing or playing some kind of instrument, uh, whatever instrument. And suddenly this rumor starts going around that when this person uh, under the anointing plays that instrument or starts singing, it's breaking uh, strongholds and, and breaking demonic power over individuals. People are getting healed. This and that's going on. Oh, boy. Okay, so uh, you have people like uh, Mike Bickle, uh, who founded the International House of Prayer. Okay, I've been in some of these. Uh, in fact, I've been in the original in Kansas City, Missouri, all right? They have these 24-7 prayer rooms where they have people that will stay in there and do this prayer warfare and prayer worship 24 hours a day, all right? This is non stop around-the-clock warfare. And, uh, guys, it's interesting. I mean, Mike Bickle teaches that these... For example, his prayer rooms, specifically, will be used as a pivotal role in the end times. Uh, He believes, and he teaches, that from these rooms, guys, and these prayer teams, praying 24-7, these believers will be releasing God's end-time judgment, killing millions of unbelievers. That's what they believe. That's what he teaches, in fact, on the uh, National Day of Prayer website, it says this: uh, when you look at why pray, in their section why pray, this is what it says: warfare, <sighs> warfare. Psalm 149 verses 6 through 9. This prayer is directed against the powers of darkness. Our praises to God are also a weapon directed against a weapon directed against the powers of darkness, demons, fallen angels who are at the work. Who are at work in the affairs of the world and the church, we pronounce against them the written judgment by reading the scriptures of judgment against them. We command them to be bound or to leave their positions of influence or authority in the name of Jesus. And you can see just how much effect this is really having on our society, on the church, on anything you're not seeing anything really going down any kind of wow miraculous stuff going down another thing that i've brought up here in this series a few times is this concept of identificational repentance and this is pretty this is a simple concept right and i've already touched on it a little bit you identify the main spiritual problems in an area Alright, whether it's what, you know, too many strip clubs, liquor stores, abortion clinics, uh, other things that have happened, maybe a great slaughter of, uh, Native Americans happened on a certain part of the land, or some other great big thing happened in the past, right? Some kind of blood was spilt on the land, uh, some atrocity, something, right? You identify the sins of the land, right? Uh, and then you, Well, you organize some kind of event to repent of that sin that happened there. Now, guys, you know, on the surface of it, I guess I don't have too much of a problem with that. I don't want to go too far with this. I don't want to, you know, look, God loves it when we repent of our sins, right? And I suppose if a sin was committed by our forefathers in a particular area, there is no harm done at at all. By coming together and saying, guys, this happened. This is what we did. And tr- and repent of it. And perhaps even make restitution to the ancestors of the hurt party. You know, the offended party. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but this is another thing that apparently um, is an effective tactic, according to these apostles and prophets, in binding these territorial demons and thus having a great big effect on the area. Well, look, you know, when you repent and make restitution to an offended party, that's good. And, you know, when you do that in Christian love, uh, there are great opportunities to share the gospel and bring people to Christ. That's just good Christian, you know, that's, that's love. And that is doing the right thing. And so in those circumstances, yeah, that's that's a good time to share the gospel. Let's get some people saved. I have nothing wrong with that. Uh, I suppose I do have a problem with when these events are held and in ecumenical unity, you have all these different people that show up of different walks, Catholics, Jews, Mormons, and the like, right? They're all together in, under one great, big, wonderful... Sloppy, wishy-washy ecumenical mess. And they all come together, uh, lending credibility to each other. Yikes. Let's go ahead and lend credibility to the Mormon gospel, which is another gospel, or lend credibility to the Catholic church, which, which, guys, has so many false gospel elements to it. There's just so much nonsense that is taught in the Catholic church. It is not something we lend credibility to. And they all come together in this ecumenical mess and then repent and uh uh do some kind of restitution type act to the offended party. Oh, that's not doing anything for God. That's not getting anybody saved. I, what a mess. All right, so I've gone 17 minutes. I should probably stop right here. Uh, Friends, if you like this podcast and you'd like to help support youth apologetics training, you certainly can. You can send donations to P.O. Box 2392, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Uh, I do appreciate those donations. They help me cover the cost. Um, Anyway, I love you guys, and I'll see you tomorrow.